Welcome to Black History Bites by Blam UK. This week on Black History Bites, we'll be talking to the talented Nii at UK Parks. London-based Ghanaian British writer, editor and publisher, Nii is one of the UK's leading black voices. Winning critical acclaim as a poet, novelist, broadcaster and children's author. In 2001, he founded Philips Eye Publishing, a UK-based publishing house which focuses on the voices from margins of British society. Meet him on Twitter at BluebirdTell. Today, we'll be speaking to him about his upcoming second novel, Asuka. So, first things first, thank you so much for joining us on Black History Bites. Um, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and chat with us about your upcoming book. Um, if you would just give us a brief synopsis of your book, what it's about and why you wrote it. So, uh, Asuka is a book about belonging. That's kind of like the overarching theme and um in the book there are two primary characters one who goes to an island as a youth grows up there but becomes a member of the most famous band from the island and so you imagine that if people talk about the island they will talk about that band and therefore that person then represents the island the other person has parents who are from the island but was not born on the island comes to the island later on um, so they're the two characters that represent different kinds of belonging. Um, but it's also a political satire about global politics um, and stuff like that. And um, just the way in which Black people are exploited. Um, yeah. And I like to think of it as a as a coming to love story because, you know, knowing how you belong is also coming to love yourself. But also within the story, you know, um, the characters are coming to know love in different ways mm-hmm. yeah and then in the story there's a lot of like there's a lot of like botany and science did you how much did you already know is this like a secret passion of yours or did you have to do like a lot of <laughs> into these things before a secret love of fungi <laughs> never know um so i'm a scientist by training um, I'm a food technologist. I, I mean, that's what I trained to do. And I worked for a multinational for a couple of years. Um, but as you can probably tell from the themes in the book, I am kind of uncomfortable with capitalism mm-hmm. in, in the form that it exists, in the very exploitative form that it exists. So working within that company, which was a multinational, I began to see how they were exploiting my country, Ghana. Um, mm-hmm because I'd worked for them outside of Ghana and they worked quite differently. And okay. so I quit to, to write. So science for me is a discipline, regardless of what um, field you are in, it's the same mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you try, you fail, you reach some conclusion, you try another. I mean, it's, it's like almost anything else in life, even though science likes to think that, think that it's, it's elevated. But yeah, so I have a, a science background. And because it's related to food and agriculture, there's that. But I did have to do some research mm-hmm. um, in order to kind of make it uh, as authentic as possible. I'm, I'm very, I'm very committed to authenticity when I'm writing. So I, I actually took a music class so I could write about music wow. like a musician and stuff like that. Even though I don't play any instruments really, um, but I took a class at the Berkeley School, um, which is actually here in Boston where I am right now an online class so I could learn how to um, to to create chords and stuff like that just to dig deep 
That's incredible. That's a lot of dedication. And obviously yeah. music is a big part of the story, so it makes sense. But still, that's a lot of dedication just to make sure that anyone who's reading it who might have a musical background will like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Because obviously for me, I know nothing about music and nothing about science. So you could have been making it all up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the fact that you've kind of gone into that much research is is admirable. Thank you. So one of your one of your themes is the idea of home. It's also the idea of like the diaspora, and I think normally when we think about you know Africans migrating for whatever reason, usually we kind of think of it in the context of them moving to Europe or like North America. Yeah. Um, what made you kind of base your story? What made you kind of base it in in a South American country? Because you don't really hear those kind of stories very often yeah i mean but at the same time you know there's there's always that joke about anywhere you go in the world you find a nigerian right (laughs) so um i think the fact there's a way in which we receive information that's very focused on how the west perceive themselves Mm -hmm. um as the mecca the place to go to but there's actually way more african migration within africa in the Mm -hmm. first place and then there's a lot of migration also outside of what we think of the, as the conventional West. So, for instance, during the Cold War, a lot of people went to, to Eastern Europe. You know, mm-hmm. So there's lots of Africans that went to places like Bulgaria, Hungary, what is now the Ukraine. Um, people still go to Japan a lot, China. Mm-hmm. And um, Cuba had, a, had a, uh, a program, I think Nicaragua as well, where they would take... Um, young people from Africa and put them through secondary school and then th- through free university. Um, and so they would learn a language and then study there. So we, we have those communities in, in Ghana and I know of in Nigeria as well. Um, and also I know of from like other Southern African countries as well. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of make that reality come to the fore because we have thousands of untold stories as African mm-hmm. people because we, we're not leading the charge to tell the stories. Other people are yeah. creating the narratives. And when you write these things, people say, are you sure it's true? As <laughs> though you would just make that stuff yeah. up, you know? Um, I mean, I once had an editor. Uh, I wrote a story and they're like, um, this is not an African family. It's not big enough. And I'm like, okay. we have small families and big families. Yeah. <laughs> like, why does it have to be a cliche you know so it's it's that kind of thing if we don't tell the multitude of stories that we have then the world doesn't know but also it means that we don't have people who don't know maybe people who grew up in the west don't have the imagination to think actually hey we've been here we i can go there it's mm-hmm. it's it's good it's safe there's Af- african people there <laughs> like yeah. you know there's african people all over latin america brazil has like the largest population of black people out of africa yeah but we don't think of it that way. We might think of African-Americans as the largest outside of Africa, but it's Brazil. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then kind of following from that, um, as you said earlier, a big part of the story is this idea of home. Yeah. Um, so what does home mean to you personally? Where where would you consider home to be? Because obviously at the moment you're in America. Yeah. But where, when you think about home, what is that for you? Um, you know, as I've grown older, I've come to think of 
it as homes <laughs> rather than mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Um, so I was born in England. My parents were studying. Um, I experienced, my, my, my older brother and myself, we experienced quite a lot of racism. So my father actually made us move back to Ghana earlier than he had intended because right. he didn't want us to be about that life because I was fighting every day in school <laughs> and I was only like four years old. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, and so Ghana is where I grew up mm -hmm. and I consider to be where much of my formation as an individual happened. Mm -hmm. However, my father's father came from Sierra Leone, you know, yeah. so, and his, his grandfather came from Jamaica. Right. Um, so there's, I've always had this sense that I have many homes, I have many places that I, I belong to. Mm -hmm. And my conception of home, first of all, starts in, 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 in identity, in the sense that I don't think of myself as half anything. I think mm -hmm. of myself as I am and, and I, and I am, and I am, and I am. Yeah. So rather than saying, you know, I'm, I'm quarter this or I'm this, I'm just like, yeah, I'm that too. Mm -hmm. because the thing is if you have parents from two different places they don't say i'm only going to give you half of what i know yeah <laughs> right <laughs> you pick it all up you pick what you use but it, you, you're a shapeshifter i mean as african people were generally shapeshifters because our cultures were usurped and we've been in other cultures have been imposed so we're shapeshifters anyway so because we're shapeshifters home also shifts so for me home is where i have a crew of people i feel at home with Mm -hmm. so I have a I have a London family you know um if if they're not there London doesn't feel very much like home as much as I know it very much yeah um so there's the crew and then there's there's the food you know I, I mm -hmm. can't feel at home when the food's not good mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I was recently in Guadeloupe you know I'd never been there before mm -hmm. but when I was going a friend of mine that I met in France when I was studying said oh my mom's in Guadeloupe and he told her she came to meet me when I arrived. Mm -hmm. They had a family gathering. There was food. I felt so at home. I could have stayed there forever. Because <laughs> like, the food was good and the company was like, it was family. Yeah. Right? And same, I had the same experience in Trinidad. Um, I immediately like, I'm like, yeah, I'm home. Because yeah. I had a crew and I had good food. And so my definition of home is very much around the people around me. And black people have to be in it. <laughs> and and good food yeah and I think now that you've said that you can see the reflection of that in your in your book if you yeah. look at the band and how they all came together um yeah I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it but when they all came together to kind of look after each other in certain circumstances and although they weren't in maybe where they were born in terms of home, but they yeah. created their own home within themselves. So yeah, I can it your your being reflects in your work, which is great. I mean, we love it. <laughs> yeah. It means you're you're writing what you know and it's authentic. Yeah. Just... I think I also write to kind of answer questions that mm -hmm. I have. You know, I, I you know, I, I I don't think I'd have given you the same answer ten years ago. Mm -hmm. Right? Um because I hadn't come to know it. I think in writing the book, it's become clearer to me. So yeah. if I'm talking now, it's because the clarity has come from writing the book. Right, right, right. You know, because, you know, my, so my, my kids, um, my kid's mom is from the Philippines. Right. So they're Ghanaian and Filipino and Sierra Leonean and Jamaican. <laughs> like, so it's also 
almost like giving them a playbook as they come mm -hmm. into, you know, adulthood, especially because, you know, the identity that they are taught in school or they, they come to assume in school is British. Yeah. And I know that identity will reject them so hard yeah. at some point. They've already begun to experience it, right? So it's very important for them to understand that that can't be the only thing. Right, yeah as well and i and i think for many for many of us who um are british but a lot of britain doesn't want to call us british mm -hmm. you know where are you really from <laughs> type thing you know when you're when you're the kind of person who gets that question where are you really from then you know you have to kind of construct your identity differently otherwise mm -hmm. you won't be at home in yourself and yeah. so you can't find joy, you can't find completion, you can't find happiness or true happiness. Um, and I think if you understand that it's just one of the things that you are, then it doesn't have to hurt as much. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, changing gears ever so slow. Yeah. Um, so we at Blam, we look at kind of what it's like to be Black and Britain in different avenues. And obviously one of the main ones we look at is um, the arts in Britain, yes. in the arts. And so obviously you are a writer, but you're also a poet. You you do a lot, to be fair. But what has your experience been like being in the liter literary industry in Britain? What's what's that like for you? Um, it's a mission. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, you know, um, because I'm also the kind of person who, if I don't think things are working, won't just sit back, I'll do something about it. That's how I became a publisher, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I would go to these readings and the writers whose work I enjoyed wouldn't have books and people who were doing just some random basic stuff, you know, would be published and getting accolades everywhere. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this picture. Mm -hmm. um, so at first I started a magazine, then I started publishing. And, and what I will say, certainly my experience as a poet Poetry, the black poets in the UK, um, we've grown as a community because mm -hmm. at the time there, there wasn't publishing happening. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago when I came in the space with Roger Robinson, Malika Booker, Jacob Samler Rose, we became a community. We became our, each other's critics, um, each other's editors because mm -hmm. we couldn't tap into the system, mm -hmm. which was very white, middle class, so even white working class couldn't penetrate the space. So they, in fact, became part of our community as well. Mm -hmm. So after like 15, 10 to 15 years of nurturing, you see an emergence now of a lot of black poets from mm -hmm. the Caribbean, from Africa, who mm -hmm. are now being picked up by the mainstream. But the mainstream is not picking them up because they suddenly became good. Mm -hmm. It's because they suddenly, because we build community, because yeah. we build audience, there's a financial interest there. Whenever there's a financial interest, people stop seeing color. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. It's like, let's go. Um, but it's very important for us not to be complacent because we've seen these waves before. You know, um, yeah. Kochi Newland, who recently, um, you know, his book uh, *River Called Time* was picked up by Canon Gate, and it's you know, it's it had really good reception. When he published um, *The Scholar and the Society Within*, like um, this is like uh, early two thousands. Mm -hmm. There was all this hype, mm -hmm. but what you realize is the mark they wanted to market him as this 
kid who grew up in the ends in the estates and he mm -hmm. had to write that story over and over again because yeah. it fit the cliche the moment he broke out and did something different because this is honestly Courtier is one of the most well-read persons i know mm -hmm. man's read everything <laughs> <laughs> like when he starts giving you references it's it's mad and he's written more plays than most of the, the playwrights that are lauded in the UK right now, mm -hmm. right? He, he, he switched and he wrote a no novel called Snakeskin where it's almost like a detective novel and suddenly they didn't want to renew his contract. Yeah. And then it's almost like he disappeared. But in the black community, we didn't forget him. He was yeah. running workshops, he was doing this, he was doing that, publishing okay. short stories with smaller publishers. So community is the foundation of black people's experience in the UK publishing industry. If you mm -hmm. don't have it, you will get frustrated. I, mm -hmm. For instance, I know, and, and my agent and I had discussed this way back, whenever he submits my work, mm -hmm. I know it will take a long time for pe people to publish it because I don't write cliches. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in it. I'm interested in, in Black people's stories and <laughs> in the way that they're as real as possible, not as cliched as possible. Mm -hmm. So we have this understanding. I'm like, listen, there's no rush. I'm patient. Mm -hmm. It will sell. It will go to the right person. So, you know, my first novel, Tale of the Bluebird, went to an editor who was actually from Zimbabwe. Right. Right. Um, even though it was Random House, the editor was from Zim. Um, it had gone to other editors, European origin editors, who were trying to change the book in all kinds of ways to yeah. make it. And I'm like, that's not the truth of it. So you have to, you know, standing your ground is not easy. So I don't blame people if they make they compromise to get in there because we all have to eat. Mm -hmm, but yeah. the industry is will will put you against the wall so many times. Mm -hmm. So you, if you want to be true to the essence of your stories, then you have to be prepared to stand and wait and hustle and yeah. And that's you know, um, we are doing different things. You know, there's a, there's a um, black writers group that's been set up recently mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of advocate within the bigger publishers for changes to happen so i'm hoping that this time the changes will last mm -hmm. um black writers guild has been pretty good so far and we have annual meetings and stuff like that but the reality is it is not the same pathway as you know a kid who is born in i don't know um Hertfordshire mm -hmm. and um and has one parent who went to Durham University and another parent who went to Cambridge yeah you know and yeah it's not it's not the same pathway and do you have what one piece of advice would you have for any aspiring authors or poets black authors or poets living over here um what advice would you give them just know that the industry doesn't define how good you are. Yeah. Um, if you go on that, you will, you will be depressed so quickly. Mm -hmm. So the industry doesn't define how good you are. However, find yourself a crew that can be honest with you so you know when you're growing. Mm -hmm. um, and be prepared to wait. Be prepared to be patient for your time to come. I love that. I like the first point that the industry doesn't determine your talent because I think it's easy to take rejections to heart and to believe that you're being rejected because you're not good enough yeah. I mean possibly you're right it might be right but 
there's also the bigger possibility that it has nothing to do with your talent and everything to do with your skin colour um, and your writing style and the fact that because they don't understand what you're saying, it means it must be wrong. Um, yeah. And especially if you don't write in the Queen's English, you are, I've heard a lot of stories from writers who said that editors have tried to change the wording because they don't understand it because it's not in a language that they understand. And so like, that's not, it's not your, my problem. You just need yeah. to learn <laughs> language. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very, that's a very beautiful point to end on. Um, mm. Thank you so much for your time. We it is my pleasure. Best. We hope that everyone goes and grabs this book because it is very good. Like I'm not just saying that because you're here, but it is a very thank good you. book. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Asuka will be available for purchase from June 8th. Be sure to grab a copy. Thank you for listening to Black History Bites. Visit blamuk.org to learn more about our organisation and the work we do and follow us on Instagram and Twitter via our handle at blamcharity. Until next time. Thank you.